The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. Before any of it, we're going to kick things off with our afternoon update. So Jen Hogan is with me, the Irish Times columnist, and Sean O'Regan uh, from our newsroom. And Sean, we might start with that story Eamon mentioned in the news headlines. The Children's Rights Alliance have published their annual report card. This examines kind of government promises with respect to children, what is in the programme for government and how they have delivered on them. So what, what does it say? Yeah, so this one, this time around, Kieran, it shows failures around housing are having a lasting impact on children. The Children's Rights Alliance gave the government's work on family homelessness in 2023 a D- with nearly 4,000 homeless children nationwide last year. The report states while families are exiting out of homelessness into more stable and sustainable accommodation options, those options remain limited given the scale of building required to meet demand. The CRA also graded the government's work on children's mental health at an E grade, with the continued admission of children to adult psychiatric units a concern, something the government had committed to end. The report also noted the unacceptable rise in waiting lists for CAMs as another reason for that low grade. We caught up with the chief executive of the Alliance, Tanya Ward, earlier, and she told us it's not acceptable for children to be treated in adult mental health facilities. We had 12 children admitted to an adult psychiatric unit. They're very small numbers, but it is a very terrifying experience if you are deep in an eating disorder and are very ill, if you have harmed yourself or if you've tried to commit suicide and you end up in an adult unit with people who are not trained to deal with your needs. It's a very different experience and children and young people will tell you that. So that was Tanya Ward, who's the Chief Executive of the Children's Rights Alliance. Jen, I mean, we've gone past the point at which anybody could be surprised by these failings, can we? have we? We absolutely have. And you know what? It's still it's, shocking, but it's not surprising. shocking, but not surprising. And anybody who's working with children, anybody who's dealing with children on a regular basis, I know even from speaking to parents, from child development experts, from those working in uh, as psychotherapists and psychologists, teachers, every single person working in those sort of um, professions will tell you about their huge concerns around child mental health, which as you, as you pointed out there, Sean got an E um, for in, in the annual report. And, and the absolute inability to access the services that they need. I mean, that's a huge difficulty. Parents can't get can't get appointments for um for CAMs. They're huge, very long waiting lists. Even with the, even those who have the means to access or to pay for private appointments are struggling because even the private services are overwhelmed. And everybody knows that early intervention is really, really mm. important for children. If they can't access the supports that they need, the lasting, the damaging effects, and it impacts the whole family, it impacts siblings, it impacts parents, and it impacts the children themselves. We're coming, we came out of a pandemic where we had, we, we knew this, we knew there would be a consequence. There's a, for every, uh, for every, th- every decision that's made and every decision that happened over the course of the, con- of the pandemic, there was a consequence. And we're hearing anecdotally about, you know, rising levels of anxieties in school. Parents are reporting difficulties with their, with their young children, with their teenagers, and they just cannot access the supports that they need. And even though, like you said, it's not a surprise, it's not a surprise. I suppose that's the really important thing that we don't become desensitized to this, mm. that we absolutely insist that something is done about this. But it's not just CAMs. I mean, children with additional needs, and, and I'm not talking about mental health needs, but additional physical needs yeah. as well. Like we've often talked about this on this show, and you and I, I'm sure, have had this yeah. conversation as well about how long it takes to get an assessment of needs. And then after you get the assessment of needs, how long it takes before there's any intervention yeah. and how paltry that intervention is. Absolutely. And even, even if we take it back to education, 
isolating children even within the education system who cannot get the, the diagnoses that they need, the access, you know, diagnosis of perhaps of dyslexia or dyspraxia or ADHD, trying to get the access to services, trying to get just even that first step, never mind the supports that they'll need afterwards. They can't even get that far. Mm. We are failing children miserably and we continue to fail. And the fact that we are here and getting an E, an E for an E for this, that we have for the, you know, we have these shocking statistics even around um, homelessness that we, you know, that the children are still dealing with that, that they're in, in um, living in places that are completely unsuitable for their needs. The, it, I, I don't really know how we can continue to be here, how, no matter how often this is flagged, that we still have parents fighting and, and yelling and calling for support and we'll all roll our eyes and we'll all be horrified and we'll all think it's terrible and the teachers and the psychotherapists and the psychologists and yeah. the parents, everybody will keep calling for it and how much will actually change. I know. And then if the children or the parents of those children uh, who need both services or get kicked from one to the other, mm-hmm. they turned up looking for CAMS, CAMS see there's a diagnosis of something like autism they say, no, you need disability mm-hmm. services disability services so you've got a mental health issue and they're just bumped from one waiting list to another they got an A the government though on watch on yeah overall the coalition fared better than last year with more A's and B's this time around so it got an A for the enactment of the Online Safety and Media Regulation Act and the establishment of an online safety commissioner both positives while the report described the expansion of the free school book scheme to junior cycle students as a game changer, which warranted an A-. There were also B grades, Kieran, for the government for its efforts to create new pathways for long-term undocumented people and their children and for addressing food poverty in children. I think Tanya and the Children's Rights Alliance Jen, we're being unduly kind by giving them an A for online safety. I think so. I mean, I think, again, if you come back... No, no, fair. they did. They, they Look, have put yes. in place regulations and Neve Hodnett is there, online safety commissioner. I'm not sure you could say children are safer online today than they were uh, when the government yeah, came no, into power. I think, I think parents would very much come back and dispute that and mm. teachers do. And again, anybody working with, with children, that what, until I suppose we make the, the companies accountable and make them accountable, we're really not going to make the progress that we How need How frustrated were you online. last week with um, Norma Foley, the Minister for Education? And maybe not necessarily with her, but rather with the big social media company. So she called them in for this meeting. Mm. We had, had her on the show that day uh, and she pointed out that, you know, she asked them to, 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 to put in place much more kind of robust age verification measures and they just simply said no. No, yeah. no we're not going to do I that. I mean, it's, the fact that they good can go- actually Good God, we're not going to do that. that. I mean, they're only kids. They're only kids. It's only kids we're putting in danger here, isn't it? It's actually outrageous and shocking and we can go around in circles and we can talk about um, what parents and them stepping up to the plate and them looking at what their children are looking at and parents have a role to play here but it needs to come back to the companies again and how they're allowing children to access the content that they're able to access and how the algorithms are working and the sort of things that are are be, that are turning up in children's feeds which are quite horrifying and anybody who has a child who has a smartphone will know it doesn't it's not very hard for them to stumble across no. the sort of content that you don't want them stumbling across they don't even have to stumble across it just it's just fed to them it's just fed to them and the fact that these companies can kind of go yeah no that, that's just totally totally yeah, unacceptable yeah, we'll have to see whether they, they keep that A grade uh, <laughs> next year once the regulations are enforced we'll find out whether they uh, have had any impact. Uh, Sean, as a fear gale, so you'd have interest in this story. Uh, the Camogie Association, the GAA and the LGFA. So these are all the governing bodies of kind of the main uh, Gaelic game sports in this country. They're all going to come together by what year? 
2027. Okay. So we have three years. We knew this was happening at some stage and now a kind of a firm date set in the calendar, is it? Absolutely. That was after the three organisations and former President McAleese met up in Crow Park this morning to announce the plans. So the 2027 date was revealed at that media briefing earlier, which was chaired by Mary McAleese, who has led the steering group for integration over the past 18 months. The annual congresses of the three bodies now will be updated on the work of the last year and a half in the coming weeks and the plans for the next three years. So President McAleese said Gaelic Games are about to enter a new era, new era, I should say. The group's work included gathering feedback in what was called Ireland's largest ever survey, which involved 30,000 respondents and an overwhelming majority voted in favour of integration, according to outgoing president, GA president Larry McCarthy. Among the topics which the steering group sought input regarding were facilities, finance, fixtures, human resources, membership and player welfare, with subgroups working on the finer details to achieve this integrated organisation. So what's the rationale for it? Why do it? Bring it all together and they say that we now have a roadmap to deliver an exciting future for all three associations that will benefit all players, all clubs and the communities they represent. Now, as you say, like I'm into my football and my hurling, I think it's a great idea have all organisations under the one umbrella because you can see from different county boards from my own experience that there is a crossover between ladies football, camogie, hurling and men's football. Fixtures don't line up and dual players, if you're playing football or hurling, you may may have to pick one. Mm. Imagine you're a player that's playing camogie and ladies football. You need to make decisions, especially when you get older. I was brilliant at playing the three sports when I was younger, but Jen, you have children yourself. Mm. Like, the, the timetables and the schedules mm. can get very busy. So looking out, we're looking from the outside in. If it, they're all under one umbrella, will that condense the fixture schedule? Will we be able to have a bit of cohesion between the three sporting bodies? I would hope so anyway. I mean, the, the, there's just an argument as well, Jen, isn't there, that it, the optics matter uh, and it matters that there's kind of parity of esteem. The optics do matter. I think Sean's dead right in terms of, you know, getting, coordinating the timetables and, and anything that keeps people involved in sport or in as many sports as they want to be yeah. for as long as possible. It can only be a good thing. It does. Of course, it looks better. It absolutely looks better that they're all all under the one, the one, um, the one title. I, I can't really see a downside to it, if I'm honest. I can't. It, it was interesting to see how Hilda Breslin came out and she said, her, our vision is to foster the growth of Gaelic Games and contribute to the overall health and well-being of the people of Ireland. And I suppose that's very much in line with the, that idea of making it possible for people or for children and for young people uh, to yeah. stay involved. In I think what, what some might the s- say, now the, 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 the voices arguing against it are not too plentiful, but what some of them say, and it's generally within the LGFA and the Camogie Association, is that um, they fear that their their voice might get drowned out a little bit. So within the GAA, you'd have that attitude amongst some hurling yeah. counties, that they're kind of seen as the kind of the poorer younger brother, like, you know, football is the, is the, is the big mm-hmm. game. It is played by almost every county and it is properly competitive and we kind of pay hurling a little bit of lip service. And they worry that maybe will that happen to the LGFA and the Camogie Association? Perhaps, perhaps. And I suppose maybe you could you could see that. But at the same time, maybe it will amplify the, the voice and, and the importance of girls and women's sports. Maybe this is a good thing, you know, when we put them under this big, you know, the GAA, um, it's such a big entity. When we when we include them all together, maybe, it, maybe it'll be for their good. Maybe it'll be the exact yeah. opposite of what they're fearing. I often think of, was it, um, I can't remember what year, Sean, it was Kilkenny and Galway drew in the All-Ireland in 20... 
2014, was it 2014, 2013? Yeah, 14, I think it was, wasn't it? It was a drawn All-Ireland and then they rescheduled fixture. They had to move the Camogie yes. All-Ireland, wasn't it? Yeah. They had to move right. the Camogie All-Ireland. And the GA got a load of stick for this. But the, the point that was made at the time is that the GA have nothing to do with Camogie, that they just set the fixtures for the men because that's all they're governing. Mm-hmm. And then they turn around to the Camogie Association and say, here's the kind of the spare dates if you want to play in Croke Park. And then when they picked that, they were told, well, you know what, if there's a replay in the hurling, that's when it's going to be. And the Camogie Association kind of yeah. took their chance. But I guess, you know, it, it lo- that looked awful from the GA's point of view. You wouldn't have that. Maybe 2012, was it the 2012 game when it was a draw? Um, you wouldn't have that happening. No, because so. the Camogie Association will be there sitting around the table sit with the fixtures. Come here to me. Yeah. Here to me. <laughs> we, 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 now, we now have uh, equal say yeah. um, uh, on uh, what happens with the fixtures. So listen, uh, that, that is happening by 2027. We're going to talk about it uh, a little bit later in the show. Mary McAleese, one of the uh, driving forces uh, behind it, which is, inter- which is interesting. Simon Tierney, I want to talk about. So our colleague here, Simon, he had a great piece in The Examiner. Mm-hmm. It was in the paper and he was on News Talk Breakfast as well. And he sanitizes Jen fairy tales for the kids when he's reading them. Not just fairy tales. He sanitizes. I like this. The uh, Richard Scarry books. Yeah. Everyone will remember the Richard Scarry yeah. books. And what he doesn't like about them is that the pigs eat sausages, which he <laughs> describes as cannibalism. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that. it that way. Yeah, it was. It, it was really good. I was reading it. And look, it makes you think. He has a real problem with the monarchy, Simon. You have a problem with the monarchy. We saw that he has issues around the monarchy, and he doesn't like the you know that princess and princes and the monarchy plays such an important role in so many important so many fairy tales and that this is what girls perhaps in particular aspire to be he thinks Disney's done an awful lot to romanticize the monarchy and maybe he has a point there he absolutely does I thought I was thinking about this and I was thinking even back to me being a child never mind telling my own kids these stories and I don't think I was traumatized by the wolf um you know eating grandma or or the gingerbread man getting you know swo- um Oh, he swallowed. gets swallowed, uh, yeah, by, he gets the swallowed by the wolf. Wolf, across the river. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know that we need. I, I, if I'm thinking about it, I don't know that we necessarily need to. Sorry, sorry, but I don't know that we necessarily need to make our stories. Are you accusing of being woke? No, no, I am definitely not <laughs> oh, accusing Jen, of being woke. I didn't, but maybe I didn't particularly think you were one of them. I'm now. not one of them. <laughs> Not one of them. I'm the oldest snowflake in town, apparently, <laughs> allegedly. Um, no, um, no, I no, I just don't know that. I think maybe it's a little bit of overthinking going on there. I think kids can see stories for what they are. I'm not sure mm. that it's necessary to change it. Now, there are some things like there's other stories. There was a piece there in The Observer as well, uh, written last summer. Martha was writing about fairy tales reflecting the morals of where we are and that we kind of tweak things a little bit to reflect where we are now. Um, and, and that, you know, but we have Shrek for that. Like Shrek corrected an <laughs> awful true. lot, an awful lot of the the wrongs that were in fairy tales and and the roles of women even within fairy and it's tales. not just fairy tales. I mean, there was the Roald Dahl story as well last year that people got great mileage out of. Yeah, that was around this time last year from Right and Say, and and they yeah. were rewritten to remove the offensive language. So like Augustus Gloop in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is now described as enormous as opposed to fat, and Mrs. Twit in the Twits is no longer ugly and beastly. She's just beastly. You see, I see that one now. There, there, maybe I can come in a little bit, and I don't know if now this is going to sound very woke and very snowflakey, but oh, maybe, we <laughs> maybe we could put a trigger warning on that because I am mindful of the fact I'd be very much about inclusion and very much about making sure nobody was unnecessarily distressed. Says she, saying it's fine for Wolf to eat grandma, but but I think when when it comes to using words like that, you know, you're, you're teaching your kids don't use words like that, don't hurt. There's no need to be 
hurtful and cruel and maybe that is that's so don't 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 be. call people fat or ugly but set fire to your granny <laughs> <laughs> yeah when you put it like that okay <laughs> no, but, but I, I'm not saying I don't think we should be rewriting literature either I don't think it, they reflect they they reflect the time that they were written in and what was acceptable but maybe you might caution parents if for some reason they weren't aware with Roald Dahl who could be pretty nasty um, before you go, have either of you seen the videos of the Pleasure Boys no, yet? I tried. I tried. I went out to the parents' WhatsApp group. No one has it. Sean, you have them, do you? I've seen them on you Twitter. Sh- yeah. Share them in the WhatsApp yeah. group here. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a mad story. Belfast City Council, they're investigating a performance from this uh, male erotic dance group. I think the issue is the issue, Sean, that it was advertised as something else. Absolutely. I was wondering why the City Council were investigating kind of a, an the... erotic dance group getting naked. <laughs> what else did you expect them to do? If you see the videos, you might understand why there might be an investigation going on. All oh, right, OK. Uh, the, uh, no, the Belfast City Council are investigating it now. So. They, have a, they have a puritanical streak up north, you see, Jen, they don't they? Do. They really they do. No become... Sunday trading. And, <laughs> no Sunday trading. And, tra- and, and no zip up your you-know-what. No fully nude or simulating of sex acts with the audience allowed. Not when you're, what was it, 1750 for that or something? 17 euro, oh 50 or 15 euro. It wasn't very expensive. This is like cheap night out. Fifi and Ballyragget <laughs> all over again. Anyway, uh, thank you very much uh, to Jen Hogan and to Sean O'Regan. 087-1400-106 is the number. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from 4 on News Talk.